Amen. Thank you so much, Kat. And good morning, everyone. Uh, wow, what an amazing uh, moment we have uh, to worship our Lord uh, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And this week, we're uh, focusing on the practice of scripture study, where each week during the quad three, uh, we're highlighting a different spiritual practice that equips us to cultivate intimacy with God and others. And this week, the practice of scripture study, uh, we heard from uh, Professor Melissa Larson on Monday. Uh, yesterday, we had a scripture reading chapel, and today, uh, we're honored and blessed to have uh, a local pastor here in the Twin Cities uh, to, to, to preach and to speak um, out of the word uh, uh, for us. And so, uh, let me tell you a little bit about him before we invite him up. So, uh, Pastor Jonathan Parnell uh, is the planning pastor of Cities Church, uh, planted five years ago, and he is the uh, pastor of preaching and long-term vision and help, helps oversee church planting and discipleship. And uh, he is author of three little books, um, and one of them maybe to highlight for those of you who are uh, maybe heading on to seminary, it's How to Stay Christian in Seminary, um, which maybe sounds like a, an oxymoron, but uh, th- there's a, a lot of wisdom there in that book. And then Mercy for Today is this newest one. Um, that just uh, just came out uh, recently. Um, he's from uh, Rayleigh, North Carolina, so you'll, you'll hear a little bit of south in the mouth, so to speak, and as he preaches to us. Um, but he has an amazing heart for the word um, and for the Lord and for God's people. And so we're really um, blessed to have him and his wife uh, letting him come in, uh, on a Wednesday because he has eight kids so uh, the fact that he's here with us is, is a blessing, and we're really excited. And so would you please give a warm Northwestern welcome to Pastor Jonathan Parnell. And uh, please join me in praying for him and for ourselves as he speaks. Well, Father in heaven, we want to come into agreement, into alignment with you, that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are grateful that you have brought our brother, your servant, Pastor Jonathan, here uh, to preach from your word. And I pray that as he does so, that you would uh, work afresh in him through the Holy Spirit, that as your word is taught, as it's proclaimed, that Holy Spirit, you would take the word of God and go to work on our hearts and our minds to equip us to follow you, Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, and that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, God, that I pray that we would delight more in you and in your word when we leave this morning than when we walked in. And so, Father, we thank you for these moments of worship and encountering you together, and we thank you for um, the work that you are doing and that you, that you have begun and that you are faithful to see through to completion. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open to Psalm 1. And uh, thanks, Justin, so much for, for having me here. I'm excited about this chapel series and, and really excited to speak on the practice of studying Scripture. And when it comes to this topic, to the practice of studying Scripture, I can't imagine a better passage for us than Psalm 1. And you've probably heard this psalm before. It's a familiar psalm. But uh, this morning, I want us to just receive it afresh, okay? So hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chafe that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the sinner, the wicked, that way is the way of perishing and destruction. And this psalm has been called a wisdom psalm. And the thing with wisdom psalms is, is that uh, it doesn't mean that the psalm itself is wise, but that it requires wisdom to understand it. The, the psalm both imparts wisdom, but also requires wisdom if we're going to see what God is saying in it. So that means as we come to a psalm like this, we need God to open our eyes. We need God to show us what he is saying to us in Psalm 1. And so I'd like for us just to pray one more time together and to seek the Lord with that. So let's pray. Father, in this moment, we recognize that we need you to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to give us the eyes of faith so that in this moment, we receive the good that you intend for us in Psalm 1. The good that you intend for your sons and daughters. So by the blood of Jesus, we ask, speak to us in his name. Amen. Amen. Here's the plan for Psalm 1. For the next 20 minutes, I, just, I mainly just want to make some observations on what's happening here in this psalm. We don't have time to get into all the gold here in Psalm 1, but there are a few key things that I want us to see, starting with, I think, maybe the most obvious here in Psalm 1. It's that this passage, Psalm 1, does not tell you to make a practice of studying Scripture. Instead, this passage shows you the kind of person who makes a practice of studying Scripture. So the focus is not on the study, but it's on the blessing that comes from such study, which I think is exactly what a Christian college student needs to hear. And I'm saying that as a former Christian college student. College seminary spent nine years on a Christian, two Christian college campuses. So I want you to hear me say this morning, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that you should read your Bible. All right? <laughs> Surprise. I'm not going to tell you that. Um, I know you've heard that before. You know you should read your Bible. You pr probably, most of you feel like you should read your Bible more than you do. So I'm not going to tell you to read your Bible, but here, here's what I want to do. I want to let someone show you the kind of person that reading the Bible makes you become. And then, then we can let, you can let your God-given wisdom figure out what to do with the Bible from there. All right, and I promise you, this approach, when you hear this, I don't want you to think this is some type of uh, Minnesota nice, passive-aggressive way to tell you to read your Bible. That's not what I'm doing here, okay? 
Now, there are some conclusions, I think, from this, but I want you to know what, what I want us to do is, is already what's happening here in someone. I, I want to do this morning in this passage what's already going on in this passage. And what's going on in this passage is someone, what someone is saying is, is saying, look at this person. Consider this blessed man. Pay attention to this happy human. And when we do that, there are a few things we notice. Here's the first. Number one, who you are becoming matters more than what you know. Who you are becoming matters more than what you know. Notice, first off, we're not told anything here in someone about what this blessed man knows. You can, read, you can go ahead again and read all six verses and check it out. There is not a word in here about how much knowledge this blessed man has accumulated. We don't know what school he went to. We don't know anything about his degree program. We don't know his GPA. We, we, we do not know what he knows. We're just shown who he has become. Because who you become is more important than what you know. Education, which is, which is what, what we're doing here, it's mainly about formation, not information. Okay? The knowledge that, that you acquire, it has to count outside the classroom, outside the assignment, outside the exam. We, we want that information, the information that we gain, we want that to, to serve formation. We, we want all the stuff that we're cramming into our heads to shape the way we live because the purpose really is the way we live. And when we understand that, it's going to change the way we think about things. It's going to change the way you think about your entire college experience, every class you go to, every assignment, every book is not mainly for your brain, but it's for your soul. And it doesn't matter whether it's a biology class or a Bible class. Any kind of knowledge of this world is knowledge of God's world. And that knowledge matters. Ultimately, when it comes to uh, the season of life that you're in as college students, everything that you're doing now is shaping you to be a man or woman who lives a life in this world and then dies. That's guaranteed for all of us. And you may not know where you're going to live or how long you're going to live, but the key question is really the kind of living you're going to do. What kind of man will you be? What kind of woman will you be? Right now, the question is, who are you becoming? That matters more than what you know. And every day, that's the fork in our road. Today, like today, are you going to grow just a little bit more into the person you are in Christ or are you still trying to forge some other identity? Are you yielding today? Are you yielding to God's work in your life or are you 
are you just hustling to do your own thing? Who you become matters more than what you know, okay? So who is this Psalm 1 man? All right, this is getting now to the second thing I want us to see. Number two, the joyful life, the joyful life is more careful than we might think. The joyful life is more careful than we might think. Now, the man in Psalm 1 here is blessed. That's the, that's, the, that's the banner over this man's life. It's the, the one-word description that sums him up. He is blessed, which means happy, fulfilled, content, joyful. The Psalm 1 man is living the good life. That's what blessed means. But check out the explanation here of, of blessed. The explanation comes right after. We're told three things of what this blessed man does not do. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And each of these things appear to be things that we naturally pay attention to. Okay, just think about this. You, you have to think about where you walk and where you stand and where you sit, right? We think about these things naturally. My oldest daughter um, is, uh, is in middle school this year, and, which is weird for me um, because it's, you know, I remember middle school. That's what happens as a, as a parent. You, your kids get to the age where you remember vividly what it was like when you were there. And it was like yesterday. I can remember what, what, what sixth grade was like. And it's such a, you know, you, you guys think about middle school is such a strange time. It's a, it's a it's a weird phase of life because, like, you're a little kid, but, like, you're not a little kid. And these things are all, all mixed together. And I remember when I was in sixth grade, that was the first time that I began to care about things that I had never cared about before. Like the clothes I wore and, like, the impressions I made and, like, the girls I talked to. And it kind of stays that way until you get married, just so you know, just, just you guys are aware. And, and I, I remember this one time in, in sixth grade, toward the end of lunch one day, uh, there was this girl who was a grade older than me. Her name was Abby. And uh, she was cute and all. And, and Abby was like, she was, you know, she was too cute for my friends and I to talk to her. Um, but we recognized her. We, we knew her. And after lunch one day, her class, they all got up and they were leaving. And, and as they stood up to get in line, I looked at, the, at her class and I looked at her. I saw Abby, and I saw that she had a slice of pizza stuck to her pants outside the view of her own eyes, okay? And uh, it occurred to me that day in the, the cafeteria that she had sat on a slice of pizza by accident, and, uh, and it was like a whole slice of pizza, Okay. And she didn't, she didn't know. She didn't even know. How could you not know? It's a whole slice of... And this is... So you guys get the, 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 the picture right in your, in your minds. This is like public school cafeteria pizza. You know, it's like the rectangle pizza. You know what I'm saying? Super saucy and messy. And, it's, and I, uh, I, I'm seeing this terrible thing unfold. And, and no one else noticed. And, of course, I didn't say anything to anybody because, you know, I wanted to be a nice guy. I wasn't going to laugh. And so I kept it to, to myself. So I didn't say anything. But I tell you what I did do. I stood up right away, and I looked at my own seat. 
And I was, you know, I, I was making sure we were good. And from that day onward, I'm not kidding you, every day, every time I went to the cafeteria, before I would sit down in a chair, I would examine the chair. And I, not, I did that every single day for the rest of my entire school life. It became habitual where I would not sit down. I, this is good. Don't sit down in the cafeteria unless you check, check your chair. Because the life lesson to me in sixth grade was clear. This was the life lesson. Be careful where you sit or you might get pizza on your butt. See, <laughs> that was the life lesson. And I understood in sixth grade. It says true, it's as true today as it was back in 1995 and also as it was in the 10th century B.C., around the time that, that Psalm 1 was written. You better watch yourself where you walk, where you stand, or where you sit. Be careful. Pay attention. I'm not sure like how we started to equate joy with carelessness. I think somehow we've confused um, a happy life with a a haphazard life somehow. But I want you to know that's, that's nowhere close to the vision of blessedness and joy we see in someone. That this blessed person is a person who knows not what to do. He knows how to say no to the counsel and the way and the company of evil and sin. He knows how to say no to all the so-called joys of this world that will always overpromise and under-deliver. He just doesn't fall for it. The joyful life is more careful than we might think. Here's the third and final thing. Loving Scripture, we see this in someone, loving Scripture is the best way to read it. Loving Scripture is the best way to read it. Now, um, in verse 2 is where we get into the positive explanation of this blessed man. We know what he doesn't do. Now we see here what he does do. And well, verse 2 tells us that he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That's his practice. He meditates. That's the verb here. But that's not the first thing that verse 2 says. Notice how it begins. His delight. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Before we're told what the blessed man does, we're told what he loves. Now, if you, if, you, if you caught that, I said the word love, but in verse 2, it's the word delight. Okay, they're different words. Love and delight are different words. But a lot of times, we can use these words interchangeably. Okay, both of these words are a part of affectional language. All right, you can try this out. I would guess that most everything you love are also things you delight in. Right? Like, I love my children, all eight of them. I love them. I delight in them. So can you think of a place in Scripture where you see delight and love put side by side? Think about the Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 3 at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, God the Father speaks from heaven and he says of Jesus, This is my beloved Son, the Son whom I love. 
And he says after that, in whom I am well pleased. This is the son whom I love. That is the son in whom I delight. We delight in what we love. What we delight in is what we love. And the Psalm 1 man here, he loves the law of the Lord. And depending on what English version you use, the word for law here might have a little footnote that, has, uh, that offers another translation. Now the Hebrew word here is, is, is Torah, uh, which basically means in, instruction. It can also be translated law. Either way, law or instruction all throughout Scripture. But I think it's good for us in Psalm 1 to think instruction. The psalmist is not talking about just the Ten Commandments in verse 2, but he's talking about the whole, the whole thing. The, the law of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord is everything that, that God says. It's the entire word of God that communicates all the ways of God from the very heart of God. It's what David is getting at in Psalm 25 when he says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Just, just think scripture here when you see law. Think the Bible. The Psalm 1 man delights in the revealed will of God to us in scripture he loves the Bible that's why he meditates on the Bible day and night the only way the study or meditation or chewing on the words of scripture is ever going to be a practice a a habit for you the only way it will be a habit for you is if you love it Every habit we form in our lives has a direct connection to our hearts because our hearts are what's required to make it a habit. We don't tend to keep doing things we don't love, which means if you want to keep doing something, you have to persuade yourself to love it, okay? We make habits of the things we consider lovable. What about bad habits, okay? You ever thought about this? What are bad habits? Well, bad habits... Are, the, are, are what we call the things that we consistently do, but things that we know aren't as lovable as we treat them. Bad habits are repeated practices of things that are unworthy of such repetition. And the reason we get into them is because they're easy. For example, it would be easy for me to make a habit of eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's Chocolate fudge brownie ice cream every day. That'd be an easy habit because it tastes amazing, okay? It'd be less, it's less easy for me to make a habit of going to the gym every day because it's the gym. Now, the only reason you end up making a habit of the gym instead of a habit of the ice cream is because you consider all the implications of the habit as part of its lovability. So because of all the benefits that exercise brings, the gym is going like, to like tick up with its lovability. Okay, Be, Because you know, eating a tub of ice cream every day is detrimental to your health, the, the Ben and Jerry's is going to like, it's going to, it's going to track down. So the gym does this, the ice cream does this, and it's that lovability rating that drives our habit making, okay? All of your habits are, are, are connected back to your lovability ratings. You guys got that? Now, what would be best 
And I want you guys to dream with me just a little bit here, okay? I want you to just use your imagination here. What would be best is if eating the pint of ice cream gave you the same effect as going to the gym. All right? Like, what if, use your imagination, what if you go to the gym and instead of treadmills, it's just like rows of self-serve ice cream? And like where the dumbbell rack is, it's like the topping station, you know? It's like the, and the more you do, the better shape you, you get in. But this is, this just sounds like heaven, right? Just imagine this for a minute. Dream, dream, you know, you have to use your imagination here. Well, here's the thing. That dreamy scenario is pretty much how the Bible talks about the Bible. Because... Psalm 19 verse 10 says that the instruction of the Lord is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And now honey, like way back then, is like the ice cream of today. All right, It was sweet, tasted good. It was something that would be easy to make a habit of. That's the way the Bible talks about the Bible. Scripture tastes like honey scripture is ice cream but not just that psalm 19 says psalm, psalm 119 said or psalm 19 and psalm 119 says that the scripture gives life and it makes you wise and it imparts joy and it it, it trains you with insight and so like put, put this together here scripture is what gets your soul in its best shape and it tastes like ice cream that's how the bible talks about the bible now i realize that, that maybe for you like where you're at right now the bible does not taste like ice cream not even metaphorically like it's nowhere you're it's not even you don't it's just you don't get that okay the, the bible can be it's a challenging book and making a, a habit of reading and studying scripture can be, can be challenging. But I want you to know the, the Bible is delightable. The Bible is lovable. Because the God to whom the Bible testifies is lovable. In fact, the God to whom the Bible points is worthy of your greatest love. And your utmost allegiance, your total worship. He is that glorious and that good. And I have often found that the best way to appreciate God's word is to remember God. One of my favorite theologians is this guy named Kevin Van Hooser. And uh, he's got this book called First Theology. And in this book he makes the point that often uh, people's view of God and view of scripture go hand in hand. Uh, people who tend to have a low view of God also have a low view of Scripture. People who tend to have a high view of God tend to have a deep reverence for Scripture. And I think this bears out. I think this is true. The higher your view of God, the more precious the Bible will be to you. And here's the catch. The more you read the Bible, the higher your view of God becomes. And then the more precious the Bible becomes. And then the more you read it. And then the more you read it, your view of God just gets higher. That's why God gave us a book. 
He wants us to know him. He wants us to think his thoughts after him. He, he wants us to know his mind, to understand his ways, to trust his heart. God shows us his glory in his book. And the blessed man of Psalm 1 loves the book because he loves the person he meets in the book. And so will you. Loving scripture is the best way to read it. So if I could just pray like one prayer for you, it would be that God makes you love the Bible. I pray that you would love the Bible because you love the God of the Bible. Because he first loved you. And this is the place I want to end today. If we go, keep going here in Psalm 1, uh, we're going to see more about who this person is who delights in the law of the Lord. He's put in contrast to the wicked. Uh, we, we see that there basically are two paths and, and, and with two outcomes. There's the, the first path, the way of the wicked, uh, and then there's the second path, the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. The way of the righteous leads to blessing. The way of the righteous, this path of blessing, is the destiny of this Psalm 1 delighter and meditator of scripture but we should not think of this as a kind of formula okay so hear me on this loving scripture and meditating on scripture is not this thing we do in order to achieve blessing from God instead it goes like this the way of God's blessing is to take refuge in God's Messiah if we have more time, I'd love to talk about the Messiah in Psalm 1. The Messiah is the truly blessed man of this psalm. I believe all the psalms are about Jesus, but I especially believe that about Psalm 1. Jesus is this blessed man, and we can see throughout Scripture the relationship between Jesus and the Bible. Jesus is the Messiah of whom the Scriptures foretold, who even as a 12-year-old boy, was a, he, he amazed the Jewish teachers at his understanding of Scripture. In his temptation, Jesus told Satan, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. At the start of his ministry, Jesus stood in the synagogue, and he read from Isaiah, Isaiah 61 and said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing Jesus told the Pharisees you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me when Jesus was in Jerusalem and the final week before he was crucified, he was in the temple every day speaking and enacting Isaiah 56 and teaching the people from the scriptures and, quote, all the people were hanging on his words. That's also when Jesus quoted Psalm 110 and he told the people that the Messiah is not just David's son, but also David's Lord. And then after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is talking to Cleopas and his friend and Jesus showed them the glory, his glory in the Bible. Bible, quote, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is the true blessed man of Psalm 1, devoted to the Bible because the Bible is about him. And if we are going to be really blessed, truly blessed, if we're going to make a practice of studying scripture, it has to be because of Jesus. It has to be because we have fellowship with Jesus and we abide in Jesus, which means we turn from trusting in ourselves. We stop hoping in our own strength or resolve or self-discipline. We stop, we turn, and we trust in Jesus. We hope in Jesus. We become like the blessed man 
by first trusting in the truly blessed man. Which is as Psalm 2.12 tells us, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, it is good to study and meditate on your word. Thank you for your word and thank you most of all for your word made flesh. Thank you for Jesus and that as Jesus told us, the scriptures are about him. And so as we come to this book, your book, we ask that you give us more of your son. Show us more of his glory. Make Jesus be to us a refuge. We ask this in his great name. Amen. All right. Go in peace. Thank you.